cancer. You're listening to the news on RTHK. And welcome to uh, Back Chat with uh, Anna Fenton and me, Jim Gould. And in this uh, Back Chat, we're going to be talking about uh, um, river pollution around the world following a a major international study, which included Hong Kong. Um, Just before we get to that, and just before uh, I introduce our guest uh, on the subject, uh, we've got a few emails uh, left over and messages left over from the first part of the programme, well, uh, from our COVID-19 programme, which has replaced the first part of Back Chat uh, uh, on... uh, infection figures, uh, isolation facilities, treatment facilities and so on. So I'll just read these uh, quickly. Uh, This from Mark says, uh, the government has previously identified uh, housing block ventilation as a cause of cross-apartment infection. Is this factor now being ignored? Um, Phil says, uh, this government has lost the plot. There is no long-term plan and they're following a Band-Aid policy. Uh, 10,000 beds is clearly insufficient. Uh, Simon says uh, there are 10,000 infected people still waiting to be admitted to hospitals and thousands more expected to join uh, every day. So what practical social, socially and economic outcome will mass testing be expected to achieve? Let's say we find another 100,000 people who are infected. What do we do with them? Uh, we do not have even close to capacity or manpower needed to house, treat and feed all of them in isolation and it would be crazy to try. A wealth of experience and evidence from around the world shows that we are a long way past the point where we have beaten Omicron. We need a change in strategy. We must treat this as we treat uh, other coronavirus and focus on protecting the vulnerable while getting the bulk letting the bulk of the population live its life. Uh, Henry says the loopholes in the present fight against COVID are well known and published widely in newspapers. The only solution is for the mainland to help. The mainland is already doing so. And uh, Targong Pao has published uh, President Xi's concern and directives to Hong Kong. Without mainland help, what else could be done, really, to uh, curb down the numbers? The situation in Hong Kong is like the situation in Wuhan in the first instance. Hong Kong, to curb the spread of the virus, must far exceed the spread of the vaccine. The number of persons taking the first jab shows that there is a vast number of people who don't want to get vaccinated. If people are not united, what really could one expect? And that's from Henry on Facebook. Uh, Another message on Facebook from Kim, who maybe the same Kim who called uh, earlier, said, uh, may I ask who will be staffing these flats that are being converted into isolation facilities? Would this not stretch our health services further? Uh, converting empty flats uh, question mark thank you Kim and thanks to everybody else who uh, wrote in there um, returning to our subject uh, for a back chat this morning and that is uh, river pollution so um, okay well the Kai Tak and Lam Chun rivers have been ranked 29th and 70th uh, as most polluted rivers in the world, and that's according to the global study that we mentioned. Uh, and what's more, the water samples uh, taken from uh, Kai Tak uh, contained uh, 34 pharmaceutical ingredients, and that's the most of any of the waterways that were studied. Uh, this study looked at 
uh, active uh, pharmaceutical ingredients, uh, that is, uh, uh, leftovers from uh, medications uh, that people take and so on. And we're joined uh, on the line by Kenneth Leung, who's the director of uh, State Key Laboratory of Marine Pollution and chair professor at the City University's uh, Department of Chemistry. Uh, good morning to you. Uh, good, m good morning, Kenneth Leung. Uh, good morning, Jim and Anna and audience. Uh, so I'm uh, very glad to share our study here. Yeah, thanks very much. Um, so uh, this sounds uh, pretty serious because... Um, well, I mean, especially the situation with the Kaitak River. Um, what do you think of these findings? So um, this study uh, is a global study involving uh, 127 researchers from 104 countries. So uh, we have covered 258 rivers around the world and used a standard method to collect and analyze 61 uh, pharmaceuticals uh, in the rivers. So um, uh, the, by adding up all the detected um, uh, concentrations of those drugs, and then uh, we make this index. It's called cumulative uh, uh, contamination uh, uh, index. So then we rank them from the top to the bottom. So Hong Kong uh, Kaita River is among uh, the highest one. Uh, the, the, the implication is that um, our sewage treatment plant cannot remove all this uh, substance. Uh, in this study, we use the method only measure the soluble or dissolved drugs in the water, uh, uh, let alone those uh, bind to the suspended solid or to the sediment. So we only capture part of the picture because many drugs actually uh, they will stick to lipid and also organic matter that we didn't measure so i i have to stress that we only measure the soluble fashion but by that uh, lipid you mean fat um, yeah they're so fat. yeah yeah so uh, uh, the technical term is the lipophilic uh, those chemicals will bind onto lipid or protein uh, then they may sink down uh, to this uh, riverbed as a sediment eventually. Then uh, we didn't measure those. So that means uh, the, the, the result we see is only part of the picture, but it's already give us some insight uh, into the problem. Uh, so many of these uh, uh, persistent drugs, uh, they will not be removed or only partially removed by sewage treatment plant. Uh, it means when we discharge the sewage one in the river, then uh, those micropollutants will enter into the ecosystem as well. Um, so in Hong Kong, uh, Kaita River, uh, we actually, that river received large amount of water from the sewage effluent from sartine and typo sewage treatment plants. Uh, they uh, uh, transport forward tunnel to the uh, Kaita Leula before being discharged into Victoria Harbour. Mm -hmm. so, so they uh, go through Kaita Nala. Yes, yes. Does yes, that uh, act as a concentration pool for that, for all of this? Uh, I, I would like to say uh, some chemicals already removed by the uh, sewage treatment plant. When we compare the results between Lam Chun and uh, Kaita uh, River, uh, Lam Chun didn't have this uh, 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 
discharge of the sewage effluent mm-hmm. into the river, and then that reflect more lateral water course. Uh, then we can see the paracetamol there very high. Uh, on the contrary, then when we look at the uh, catered uh, river, then the paracetamol already uh, very low because they were treated by the sewage run part. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but on the contrary, we we find a lot more different kinds of drugs uh, in Kaita River. You can imagine uh, Satin and Taibo, there are many people living there, uh, millions of people. Then many of them may be uh, in sickness, they have to use drugs. Uh, then, uh, then the outcome is uh, we can see a lot of uh, antibiotics and uh, painkiller and also those uh, 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 antihistamine uh, uh, and also the uh, uh, kind of uh, and, uh, uh, diabetes drugs and so forth appear in the Kaita River. Uh, this is not surprising uh, given that uh, we have really high dense, densely populated uh, uh, population size in Hong Kong. So this is, uh, uh, in actual fact, uh, reflecting uh, the situation in the whole world. Hong Kong is just just, just one of the metropolitan cities as ex- an example. But what th- what that does show, and the high degree of metformin, I think, the um, diabetes drug, is the high instance of diabetes that we have here, isn't it? Is the yes, uh, is yes. a lifestyle thing. So if we track track and back up here, uh, looking at the end result in the river, and also mm. the high amount of antibiotic residue from consumption of animals, I think you probably see also. Mm. Isn't this surely a diet and lifestyle issue that we should be tackling? Uh, really head on back up the chain before it even gets to the doctor having to medicate uh, with these drugs? Uh, yes, I think uh, Hong Kong already has the uh, legislation to ensure that uh, all the antibiotics should be prescribed by a medical doctor. Uh, however, uh, you still can buy antibiotics from the pharmaceuticals uh, shops around Hong Kong uh, without prescription sometimes. So, and also people tend to uh, uh, purchase more drugs from the, from the doctor and then keep in their house uh, for use. Uh, when the drug expired, then very often they just dump it in the rubbish bin or just flush it in the toilet. Uh, these ways shouldn't be done uh, because the, the result is to enhance the loading of the wastewater treatment plant at the same time Maybe those chemicals end up in landfill, eventually maybe leak out uh, from the uh, heavy rainfall or food leachate. So uh, this is not ideal. I think Hong Kong should establish a system that for some clinic, they should have a collection point so that people can return those unused drugs or expired drugs back to the clinic. And then they will be sent to the uh, chemical treatment plant for treatment. So... uh, this will help to reduce a certain amount of the drug being released into the river. Uh, at the same time, um, we have technology to upgrade the secondary wastewater treatment to treasury level, uh, which can cater to remove uh, many micropollutants, including uh, many of the pharmaceuticals. Uh, I think the government has been doing good job. The drainage services department has been upgrading various uh, uh, sewage treatment plants, like the coming up one in Yunlong. Uh, then uh, eventually, if we can improve the treatment facility, 
then the water quality of the rivers and the coastal areas will be improved. Uh, that would be our future. But uh, uh, sadly uh, to say that uh, in some developing nations, they don't have money to afford such green infrastructure. Uh, then the, the problem of uh, this kind of uh, pollution will remain for some time. Uh, this is uh, a, a kind of global concern for the sustainability. Yeah, this study found that uh, a quarter of the rivers studied had the potentially toxic levels of uh, over-the-counter and prescription drugs. Um, uh, I mean, how does that affect uh, communities and, and drinking water and so on? Uh, that, that, that is a good question. So um, when, when we uh, do this kind of risk assessment, actually uh, we took the data from literature, say uh, these chemicals, how much being discharged uh, will affect uh, the different community uh, in, in the ecosystem. So then the test would cover the algae, means the plant, and also invertebrate, aquatic invertebrate and fish. So then uh, based on the toxicity result, then we come up with uh, predicted no effect concentration. Then we compare the measured concentration in the river. If uh, lower than the, this PNEC, that is fine. But if higher than this PNEC over the waste over one, that would be alarming. So then uh, after the analysis, we found a quarter of the chemicals exceeding this uh, PNEC. Uh, that means they have high potential uh, causing deleterious effect into the uh, of the uh, aquatic ecosystem. Uh, but uh, when we look at the chemicals uh, in that uh, category, we find many of them actually antibiotics. That even more alarming because um, under these are uh, elevated level of antibiotics, the bacteria may be selected to build up the tolerance to this carbon antibiotics uh, eventually leading to the development of the superbugs, superbugs uh, yeah. which can kill people. Mm. Uh, in 2019, it was found that uh, 5 million people in the world died because of this uh, super bacteria, uh, which can resist all kinds of uh, antibiotics. But in, in and, America, remember, 85% of antibiotics produced by drug companies go to the farming industry. So go to keep these chronically sick beef cattle uh, alive for 18 months until they can be killed because they have acute liver failure if they live any longer than that, is my understanding. So at what point are we able to understand or does the population understand that if they eat particularly American farmed animals, chickens, eggs, it's not just American, wherever there's intense factory farming, that they are ingesting the same antibiotics that are used to keep these animals alive? Yeah, th that is a good point. Uh, uh, so we should tighten the, the regulation of the use of antibiotics uh, in livestock as well. Uh, very often, uh, if they follow the guideline, uh, they have these off-drug periods after they administrate the drug to the animals, and then they should have enough time let the animal to clear uh, most of the antibiotics before selling the meat. So this will have uh, uh, the, the benefit to our health eventually. But Mr. Lung, a chicken only lives six weeks yeah. these days. Yeah. There's no time for that. Yeah. We don't have a lot of livestock in Hong Kong, but we do have a lot of people in a sort of a densely po uh, populated environment. Uh, so, um, so do you think there should be 
greater regulation of the use of uh, antibiotics uh, and, and, and prescriptions, um, you know, for people going to v uh, v visit the doctor, visit the hospital? Uh, or, I mean, uh, you know, are doctors sort of um, too willing to, uh, to give out prescriptions for antibiotics when people come to them with complaints? I think uh, the health department has been uh, launching the campaign uh, trying to fight against this uh, antimicrobial resistant problem uh, because uh, the World Health Organization already predicted that uh, by 2050, uh, then the mortality figure will be doubled. Uh, that means uh, uh, we, we're going to have uh, 10 million people die because of the superbug. Uh, so to stop this happens, we have to do something. Uh, to encourage the medical doctor try not to prescribe antibiotics is one way because uh, uh, not all the disease uh, require antibiotics in the in, in the front line. Uh, at the same time, the citizens should understand that uh, uh, only in in a severe case they require to take the antibiotics. Otherwise, they should not. Uh, then in some way we have to educate our people. And also many people, as I said before, they stock many of these uh, antibiotics at home. Uh, and then uh, they may not use it. Eventually they dump it improperly. That should be stopped as well. Okay, there's an email here on that subject from a listener, Mark. says, uh, apparently most unused medicines are disposed of by flushing down the toilet. Is there any process in any country for the return of unused medi medication? Uh, this is a fault of the medical industry. Quick to manufacture and push out, but no process to return in a convenient manner. Uh, uh, Professor Leung, you were saying that w we don't have such a system here? I, I think uh, maybe in some uh, small clinic they, they provide a surface, but it's not universal. Right. I, I think that somehow... Uh, uh, the government and also the industry should uh, get together. Uh, we should have a channel, uh, the collection points, make it convenient to all so that we uh, can uh, get used to that practice uh, in the future. Mm. Do, you, do you know what about other places? Uh, is, that, is that a common practice uh, you know, in other parts of the world? I think uh, in, in the uh, Scandinavian country, they have this practice. Uh, if you don't use the drug, you bring it back to clinic, they will have a collection box uh, for you to collect. And then eventually they will gather them for treatment. And it's not just the humans, it's the pet drugs as well, isn't it? Oh, pet job, then uh, that, that, that is a good question. I, I don't think uh, that there's uh, good examples uh, in such kind of system. Well, just take uh, it back to the vet and ask them to dispose of it. Most will oblige. Yeah, that, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah that's a nice idea. Uh, right. Um, also, I wanted to ask you about our drinking water here in Hong Kong, I mean, most of it comes from the uh, Dongjiang River in mainland China. I, I'm afraid, sorry, I must apologize, I haven't had a chance to read the whole report, but was the Dongjiang River included in the study? Oh, uh, we, we also covered two sites in Pearl River only, not, not Dongjiang River. Mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, as you can imagine, in China, we also have many people live around the watershed area, and uh, there's also a high stress to the, um, the air water quality. So uh, exact data I don't have on hand now, uh, 
but uh, we also noted that noticed that uh, there there were report uh, on pharmaceuticals and other pollutants in Dongjiang River. Uh, this also a, a kind of concern. Uh, but however, we do have a quite nice uh, water treatment system, uh, which can remove the ma- majority of those uh, harmful chemicals. So I think uh, we should. Uh, uh, be safe uh, in in terms of uh, water consumption in Hong Kong, so that then we shouldn't worry. Good, uh, and Hong Kong itself has made uh, a big strides in uh, sewage treatment uh, in recent years, hasn't it? Yes, yes. Would you rephrase the question sorry, again? So, our, our Hong Kong's sewage treatment facilities uh, have improved a lot uh, yes. over over the past uh, twenty years or so. Yes, yes. I think uh, the, the, the uh, most uh, uh, amazing achievement was the uh, harbour area treatment schemes. Uh, it, it built a deep tunnel, big tunnel to collect uh, sewage to the Stonecutter Islands uh, sewage treatment plant for treatment and then making the harbour clean again. People can swim close the harbour. Uh, so this is a really good example. At the same time, the government trying different methods uh, to improve the treatment uh, uh, capability. Uh, like uh, in Satin and Taipo, they try new, new technology uh, every now and then. And also they're going to upgrade several treatment plants to tertiary level in the future. So I'm quite hopeful that uh, the situation will further improve. Okay, right. Well, thank you very much for joining us uh, on the program this morning. Uh, that was Kenneth Leung, uh, the director of uh, State Key Laboratory of Marine Pollution and chair professor at the City University's Department of Chemistry. Thanks very much to you. And now for this. And we're joined by our sports reporter, Atom Chern, to give us the latest on the Beijing Winter Olympics. Uh, good morning, Atom. Good morning, Jim. So, a record sixth gold medal for China. That's right, yeah. China enjoying their most successful Winter Games ever. They picked up a sixth gold, uh, courtesy of Su Ming, who won the men's snowboard Big Air. Uh, he did a, a pretty good job here. I mean, in the first two runs, he landed uh, what is called an 1800 a jump, which is essentially five full 360 rotations. And uh, now he's the uh, first ever snowboard gold medalist for China. Uh, earlier, he won the silver in the slope style. And a really nice thing for him is that he beat the man who uh, uh, defeated him in the slope style. Max Perot, who won gold in the slope style, ended up taking the the bronze in the big air. So uh, Su Yiming only 17, and that's been a dream Olympics for him so far. And for Gu Ailing, a silver medal this time. Yeah, she had to settle for silver this time because she fell during her second run, even though she started really strongly. And then uh, in the third and final run, she really had to grind out uh, a a decent performance to uh, just make it to the podium. She finished behind Switzerland's Matilda Grimaud. Uh, Gu Ailing uh, still very positive afterwards. And a good thing is that she has one more event. She'll be competing in the half pipe, and she's one of very few athletes to be competing in three different freestyle skiing events. 
And the uh, Russian figure skater, Camilla Valieva, she's been at the centre of uh, a lot of attention. Um, um, but she's uh, leading after the women's short programme. That's right, yeah. Valieva is leading after the short programme. Uh, as I mentioned yesterday, she was only cleared to compete 24 hours before the event, and uh, she hasn't been cleared of doping uh, after failing a drug test last month. Uh, the gold medal that she won with the Russian team hasn't even been awarded yet. So it'd be a, I think it'd be a very awkward situation if she ends up uh, on the podium in the women's individual event because the IOC has made it clear that they're not going to hand out the medals until it's been proven she's absolutely cleared of doping. Yeah. And I also want to mention that uh, the in the second in a figure skating is uh, also a Russian skater Anna Sherbakova. Uh, good news for Japan: Kaori Sakamoto is ranked third going into tomorrow's free skate, so she's looking to uh, reach the podium after just missing out uh, four years ago. Okay, and uh, and looking at today, uh, Hong Kong's uh, Adrian Young is in action. That's right. Yeah, he's uh, Hong Kong's youngest competitor, and uh, also he will uh, try to give Hong Kong a last chance for some success at these Winter Games. He's going to compete in the men's slalom at just after ten o'clock. Uh, he did not finish in the uh, giant slalom on Sunday, so he's hoping to uh, do better this time. Uh, Adrian has lived in the UK since he was six, has been skiing since he was three, so uh, he's uh, really in this for the love of the game. Okay, well, good luck to Adrian. And uh, and also today we've got um, men's hockey quarterfinals. Yeah, exciting stuff. Uh, Canada got past China 7-2, uh, and so they'll meet Sweden today in the quarterfinals. Uh, Eric Stahl, the Canadian captain, got his first goal in Beijing. Uh, he, of course, is uh, both an Olympic champion and a Stanley Cup champion. Uh, credit to China also for scoring twice against the Canadians. Uh, goals came from uh, Corey Kane, the American-born player who goes by the Chinese name Jian An. Uh, also in the quarterfinals, Slovakia, who's done Germany, they'll play the United States. The Russians are the defending champs. They'll play Denmark. Denmark in the first quarterfinals ever. Okay. Uh, actually, a, a message on our Facebook uh, from a regular listener, TC, who I think is in Canada, says, uh, I got up at 5am uh, to watch Canada play China in men's hockey, although the result was no surprise. My sympathy goes to the players of Team China, who didn't get any ice time in the game. They were all players born in China. I thought the coach should have let these players have a better Olympic experience when the game was clearly out of reach late in the third period. Um, yeah, I, I, I think the China team definitely want to make the score respectable, so they try to play their best player. There are some former NHLers on this team, and I think it's credit to them that they've been able to score twice against Canada, and also earlier in the group stage, they made it close against Germany. So it's been a, a respectable turnout for this Chinese team. Okay, excellent. Okay, well, thank you very much, uh, Atom, and we'll speak to you again tomorrow. Cheers. Okay, and thanks to all of our listeners and to everybody wrote in and thanks very much to you Anna and a quick look at the weather before we go to the news summary and morning brew um, sunny periods today 